I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission. Jordan Neely was a 30-year-old homeless man who was fatally choked by a fellow passenger on the New York City subway earlier this month. In the weeks since his death, we've learned a little more about him. He was a Michael Jackson impersonator who earned his own fans. He had a traumatic childhood, and he battled severe mental illness since he was a teenager. We've also learned more about how he died. On the day he was killed, Neely was yelling to subway riders that he was hungry and thirsty. Passenger Daniel Penny, a former Marine, responded to his erratic behavior by pinning him to the ground and placing him in a chokehold. As other passengers watched and some helped hold him, Neely died by compression of the neck. Penny has been charged with manslaughter, but the tragedy in New York raised questions about fear and safety on public transit, as well as concerns over vigilante violence rooted in underlying bias against the unhoused. The incident also raised a common question for many Bay Area residents. What should we do to help someone who is experiencing mental distress? How would a trained professional respond in a similar situation? How do we not only stay safe ourselves, but also connect the person in crisis to the right resources. Today on Fifth Emission, my guest is Dr. Richard Patel. He's a professor of psychiatry at UCSF and an attending physician in the medical and psychiatric ERs at the Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital. He's here to share his thoughts and advice. Dr. Patel, welcome to Fifth Emission. Thank you so much for having me today. Dr. Patel, it is sadly a common occurrence that we witness people on the streets who are in some form of crisis. They could be under the influence of substances or it could be a mental health issue. They could be mentally distressed or are experiencing a psychiatric crisis. I want to begin our conversation there. What's the difference between someone who's in mental distress and someone who's in a psychiatric crisis and how can we tell? Yeah, first of all, thank you for having me on your show. And I'm glad you brought up this topic because it's something for anyone who's walking through the streets of San Francisco, you can't help but notice a great deal of distress and folks that appear to have some pretty severe mental illness out there. Your question is, is I think, on the foremost of most people's minds because, of course, we see people in distress. We might see people crying. We might see people talking to themselves. But I think as a good Samaritan, a citizen who wants to reach out and help people, we we often wonder, well, is this something that I should be involved with? Is this something that I can do something about? And I think that's often very difficult because, in fact, some of these people that we might run into who are in distress are often very scared, keeping in mind that this person may be responding to internal stimuli. They might be having auditory hallucinations or other experiences that might make them very afraid of you. So I think the first thing we have to realize that if we do decide to to go up and try to help somebody, we have to proceed with caution. You know, I don't want people to go up and even tap people on the shoulder. I want folks to stay some distance away. And at the first inkling that they could be aggressive, or if you yourself walking up to these people start feeling scared, get somebody who's medically trained, psychiatrically trained, or a police officer to come in and help with this. You work in the psychiatric ER at Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital. How do people end up there? A lot of folks aren't in a 
frame of mind to realize that they're having difficulty, whether that's a primary psychiatric problem or drug use, some substance use. And so they're brought in by police officers, paramedics. And luckily in San Francisco, we have a whole host of other services, mobile crisis teams, teams that are specifically trained in dealing with psychiatric crises out in the community. So when folks do call that 311 or 911 number, the folks on the other end will ask you some questions to better aim at what kind of level of service folks are going to need. A lot of times people are in a great deal of distress and we can often talk to them, kind of do a short-term crisis therapy right there in the ER. And first and foremost, let them know they're not alone in this situation and let them know that there are folks that are concerned about them and avenues to get help. Sometimes if we don't fix the primary problem specifically during that meeting, at least people will know that they're not alone in it and will have direction to go see outpatient providers or other therapists that can help them. If it's a more intense situation, I think a lot of listeners will be imagining those folks that are spinning around the street, perhaps not wearing clothes, looking dirty, responding to voices that other folks can't hear. That kind of individual often as you could imagine, will need a little bit more care in San Francisco General and a lot more diagnoses because there are pretty severe medical problems. The first question you asked was, well, what should somebody do? And I I think my first answer is call for help from somebody that knows something about that. If you see a power line down on the street and I was an electrician, I certainly wouldn't teach you in the ways of trying to rehook that line up to the electrical grid. That's a very dangerous thing. And similarly, I, I don't really want to try to train folks how to be a therapist, a psychiatrist, or a physician. I, I want them to know how to get help for those situations, just like other emergencies. And it, it's been really easy, right, Dr. Patel, for people to become sort of desensitized to the experiences of these people who are in a psychiatric crisis. And you touched on this earlier, but I'm wondering if you could say a little bit more. How are they experiencing the world in the moment? Are they scared? Are they fearful? What may be going through their heads just to try to, you know, help people gain some empathy for them? I think a lot of people have just felt like this is impossible. There are too many people with too many needs. I have no idea what to do. Essentially, the numbers are 311 or 911. I think, though, that you're right. People are getting disillusioned. You know, they they might feel like they'd be calling these crisis lines all day long. The reality is, is I wish they would. I wish there were thousands of people in there every day because I know they're out there in need. We just aren't catching them and bringing them in. It may be warranted to kind of ask them, hey, are you doing okay? Now, if they burst out and start yelling and get scary, please run away and keep yourself safe. That's always the number one thing to do here. But they may say, yes, I don't know where I am. Maybe they're suffering from a type of dementia. We got a lot of people in in San Francisco General who were wandering around lost. They might have been off their meds for a while and don't know where their clinic is. And you may just ask them, where's your clinic? And they could say, oh, I go to Westside Community Services or I go to South of Market. We have a number of psychiatric clinics here. And perhaps, you know, a good Samaritan can kind of point them in the right direction. When you see folks with mental illness decompensating, whether they're quietly looking confused or running around looking wild, they instill in us fear. I really want your listeners and the folks out there to kind of listen to their gut reaction. If your gut is telling you, be afraid or, or, or gosh, this is making me nervous, really listen to that. 
Likewise, when you're approaching somebody who seems to have be having some difficulty, I hope people can really calm themselves down because some people are very disorganized in their thinking. They might have trouble hearing what you're saying, but they're going to feel the way that you're presenting yourself to them. So if you're really nervous or angry or scared or, you know, approaching somebody, of course, they're going to pick up on that. And that's not going to be a good interaction. So if you do feel like it's safe to approach somebody, try to do so calmly, the palms of your hands up and really be there to sort of provide whatever basic help you can give them. What should you do if you're in a situation where you can't simply walk away from a person in a mental crisis, like on a bus or on BART? Dr. Richard Patel shares what he would do after a quick break. You're listening to Fifth and Mission. You can support the newsroom that creates this podcast by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. So Dr. Patel, I was wondering if we could walk through some scenarios Say you're walking down the street and you encounter someone who's evidently in some type of a mental health crisis, but they're not posing a threat to themselves or anyone around them. There's no signs of violence. Maybe they're undressed or they're complaining of hunger or thirst. Walk me through like a a step-by-step approach on what's the best way to talk to them. I have to always start by when folks appear to have a mental health crisis, whether they're unable to feed themselves they're walking around without clothes or inappropriately dressed. And in San Francisco, we accept a lot of things, but still people know what it is when you're inappropriately dressed. The number one thing to understand is some of these situations are a medical emergency. So if people are walking around without clothes on, if they're talking to people who aren't there, or they, they're kind of scratching at things or picking at themselves when it doesn't seem, there doesn't seem to be a reason to be doing so. That might be some signs of delirium that are going on. And, and do, people do die from that. So although our kind, kind hearted citizens out there may want to help, the best thing they may do is see if they're okay. Again, the go-to response is call 911, call 311. Those are great calls. They love to receive those because it's real-time, it's a real-time instance in which we can provide some help and maybe just drive them to a shelter, get them to their clinic. The other suggestion, of course, is if they're taking medicines. Now, I don't expect people to know what all the different medicines do, but if people are taking some sort of psychiatric medicines, it usually means they're linked with some clinic. So you may ask them, well, who do you usually talk to when you're having trouble like this? Where do you usually go when you're having trouble with your medicines or getting food? And they very well may be able to point out their case manager. You might be able to do some real good immediately there. Now, what if there is aggression in a situation? Maybe they're damaging property or they're visibly projecting their anger towards other people or they're even harming themselves. Is the best scenario there to just walk away? I certainly think staying at a safe distance is good where you can't have things thrown at you or you won't be hit. I don't even want folks to be yelled at because, of course, it's not about 
the compassionate citizen. It's about the individuals who's having trouble. Even if they're yelling at you, it's not about you. People do get aggressive. People do get angry. If it's due to methamphetamines, for instance, if it's due to stimulants, that can last a long time. If it's due to mania, people with bipolar disorder going through a manic episode, which can look similar, that can last a long time. If this is something where somebody's just having a fight in a relationship or really angry about something that occurred to them, I think one of the valuable things to know is that adrenaline, adrenaline just really lasts 15 to 20 minutes because when that adrenaline gets pumped and it's really hard for us to hear content or sympathy from people within the psychiatric and medical ER, we're aware of this. So we'll let people be angry for a while. Just with time, that adrenaline will calm down and they'll be able to accept the help that we have, whether it's to go in a room or accept medications or to talk. Again, out in the community, this is a bit of a high wire act, and I don't expect folks to know how to deal with these things. If you can't get away, I think that's a trickier situation, and let's talk about that situation, shall we? I mean, that's really the the hardest one, I think. Yes, let's talk about that. What are you supposed to do when you encounter a person in crisis and you can't get away, like being on a bus or on BART? Yeah, well, those are scary, aren't they? Because you are now trapped with someone who may seem unpredictable. And as I said before, might be responding to voices or commands that you can't hear, and they may be feeling very paranoid. And so you can imagine they're going to be watchful, they're going to be suspicious, and probably not trust you so much. If people are afraid, you can say, wow, you seem really afraid. I've also had instances where it's valuable for me to say, hey, you're really scaring me. Because they might not realize what's going on. And they sometimes can calm themselves down or at least move to another area. When you're trapped with somebody who's paranoid, let me give you one concrete thing. You don't want to disagree with them. They may come up to you and say, the bus is a flying saucer and the CIA are after us and we're going to be killed. You might say, wow, that is really scary. We got to figure out a way to feel safer here. Now, you notice that I said we. Because what I want to do in a clinical situation is not be opposing people. I want to bring up the example of the New York City subway incident, the fatal chokehold of Jordan Neely by a fellow passenger on the subway. I mean, it is showing that, you know, everyday people might be resorting to extreme violence in a number of situations. You know, some people might be acting out of fear, but some vigilante violence may also be colored by issues of politics or race, may not be enough to only talk about these situations through the lens of mental illness, right? Yeah, I was deeply distressed when I saw that story. I, I It seemed very unnecessary. It isn't a normal thing for a citizen to do a chokehold on somebody else in a subway because they're feeling threatened. Usually we kind of walk away or we avoid eye contact. It's a very dangerous thing to make any physical contact with somebody who seems to be going through a mental distress. In the psychiatric ER, when I was medical director there, we had an issue where the staff was the primary vehicle by which we'd restrain people Literally, we'd get them on the ground and we'd carry them into the room if the patient was acting violent or aggressive. And that's where 95% of our injuries and the patient's injuries were occurring. So we quickly found that that wasn't a very good way to deal with this because everybody's just getting hurt. Now, how does this translate into the community? 
Well, similarly, I don't think we should be approaching folks that are actively aggressive, violent, or again, per our gut reaction, scaring us. If that is occurring, that's a big signal, you know, a very primitive level to get away from this individual. Getting to safety is really important, not only for you, but also giving that individual who's, who's having that difficult time some space to calm themselves down, hopefully. I'd love everyone to avoid these situations, but if you're one in a million who's stuck there and you have some help, restraining them on their side without choking them or doing anything to their neck and throat is the way to go. Well, Dr. Patel, thank you so much for sharing advice with us from the front lines of dealing with this issue. I appreciate it so much. Thank you for having me. Dr. Richard Patel is a professor of psychiatry at UCSF and an attending physician in the medical and psychiatric emergency rooms at the Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital. Thanks to him for being on the show, to Gary Baca for the edits, and Sarah Feldberg for the production help. And thank you for listening. <laughs>